This episode will begin with the Nietzsche quote. When you gaze into the abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. The abyss, historically, cross-culturally, in a world mythological sense, as well as a mystical and religious sense, has been described as the Great Mother. Um, you could also conceive of the abyss as Kali. You could conceive of the abyss as... That. Um, the source of creation in and at which the abnegation or the absolute negation creative essence is and is met and this is the encounter which occurs in the ins in the inner eye the insight the envision in which one recognizes the abyss in oneself ultimately as oneself we are looking down within ourselves to see that which is the utmost and outer limit of space-time. And we have this understanding in a scientific and philosophical sense as in that which continually asserts and reasserts itself as the bounds of existence, beyond which there is no knowledge beyond which there is no meaning, beyond which there is no reason, beyond which there is no truth as in that which is absolutely the truth itself or the unknown, that which sees and yet sees not, is and is not. Again, you reach that point of the Zen cone or the paradox. To focus on this or to draw your attention to this is to commune with death. It is to commune with the source of life. It is to commune with the primordial, the chitonic essence. The ground which is no ground, right? Or the, uh, the abgrund. Wherein all things spring from what Holderlin calls a world midnight at each, each hour of the night is a midnight. And from this midnight, this greatest darkness emerges something, a beast slouching from Bethlehem to paraphrase Yeats, right? What strange beasts beast now comes. And this, this beast that arises is a, uh, is an, a, an aberration, a monster, a distortion, um, insofar as it is something that is entirely new, unknown, unprecedented, unparalleled to the consciousness at that point. It is, a, is, it, is, is it a coming up against a experience that is entirely novel and thus has no syncretic definition, no earlier established inner reason, nothing which will fit it into firmly any sort of silo or language or speech pathology or system there is in this sense no way to speak 
the unknown or the abyss or the great mother insofar as she is that which even births the night. Um, so uh, Hecate is the, uh, the, uh, the tripartite goddess. The, the goddess herself of the, I guess the, the easiest way you could describe it as the goddess herself of the fates as not only those who weave, but that which is weaved, the weavers and the fate which is weaved from it. So to gaze into the abyss in this sense is to come into a derangement or a psychological disjarring or disillusioning, which is a burning away. And I've used the Isaiah quote, I think it's Isaiah 314 in the past. Um, you'll, you will walk through the fire and you will not be burned, um, etc. This state of not only emptiness, right, but that which is empty peering down into the emptiness or the formlessness and an acknowledgement of that which it is, is a finding and uncovering of the primordial self or the pre-ontological self, which is to say before the knowledge of being. That which arises as being before the ability to even encounter it or to conceive of it or to perceive it, a pre-ontological existence is this primordial great mother that we are speaking of. And to acknowledge this as oneself is to come up against finally the, uh, the, the grounds where there is no ground, or as Kierkegaard would call it, the leap of faith. where there is no choice but to jump. And in this sense, this is why um, Janana Yoga or um, Yoga of Knowledge, right, or the process of uh, mind understanding or mind understanding of the very, the, the movement in which, right, we're not necessarily moving on the basis of faith. It's, um, I think, the, the rough quote from Kierkegaard is um, um, observe or, uh, inquire, then leap, right? There's this, there's this movement at first, which is, I'm going to take an active exploration, or I'm going to inquire and conduct some form of scientific inquiry as in an observation or observation process in which I am correlating lived experiences or forming a constellation of lived experiences, as in developing a life philosophy or a self. And from this point of the self development or the process of individuation, as Jung would call it, I am leaping. And in that leap, I am in, in the Abraham and Isaac sense, right, again, to draw from Kierkegaard is that in that leaping, I am in one way or another killing myself, right, a sort of philosophical suicide, and that I am allowing myself to die in this leap and in this moment in which I abandon all that which I believe to be true, all that knowledge of which I accumulated and finally move into a bhakti or a devotional practice, right, or a, a practice of faith. And in that pure faith devotional movement, there is 
a leaving of the ground for the groundless or the final ground. And right, even in, in all of these practices, there's of course the, the, the lesson and the discipline that all that which has been accumulated, whether we're talking about a, uh, a sense of knowledge or a sense of self or a sense of meaning or a sense of truth or a sense of uh, possessions or social standing or status, all of these uh, practices which can be uh, can be sadhana or they can be spiritual practices, devotional practices that are practiced day by day, or they can be entirely unconscious practices such as cultural practices or biological practices, quote unquote, which have been so ingrained that we practice them unconsciously. They're in one way or another, um, again, practices of becoming something or finding some reason or uh, the development of self or the playing of a character or a role. And at a certain point, right, we, we return to this notion of the great mother. The abyss reveals itself to be that which was formerly posited by way of a stripping away of the title, of the deed, of the... Uh, the land of the body of the role, the character. And in this sense, right, we come to know death intimately in our everyday lives. Um, as a sensation, as a feeling, as a lived experience. And to commune with that and inquire into it, right, is to gaze into the abyss or this the scrying glass of absolute darkness, abeyance, non-being. Uh, this encounter of being with non-being is, of course, again, we reach that Zen cone state where the paradox reveals itself as in the thingness of all things or the very source of creation from which creations spring. And to gaze into that abyss is to look deeply into oneself. And to emerge from that looking, believing that there's any sort of ground other than the ground of that pure direct experience, um, I might again motion to the idea of a non-ordinary state of consciousness, which comes with this direct contact with the abyss. Um, the idea that you emerge from anything like that with a firm structure or a firm idea other than this sort of cone state of existence or the sort of paradoxical state of existence in which there is effectively a, a teleological suspension of all reason, of all existence, of all meaning in this absolute beingness which comes and goes, inflows and outflows, influxes and outfluxes. And you have this deepening of the lived experience where you can feel this beingness flowing, this coming and going of emotional states, of physical states, of psychological states, of neurological states, all of these states of being that are manifest and represented in the body as in these primary and primordial flows, this, um, you could say, sort of the river sticks, if you like, right? This chitonic movement between life and death or between earth and the underworld or between 
the light in the soil or the above ground in the depths in the deeps of dark um that river's movement is that which is the generative thrust of all life so you could think of uh I, I don't know the the correct term for it, right? But the uh, the wheel which turns water, right, and generates energy. I think that's one of the most ap kind of apropos um, visual metaphors for what we're discussing here. It's this movement and flow of the spirit in the kind of churning center, a churning energetic center like a chakra, um, which generates energy which can be purposed in any sort of direction right we're talking about the the driving force or the life engine of nature again which is something that is not only within the body right in terms of the uh the the hindu writings of, of the chakra centers but also in terms of the earth powerful energetic centers that have been documented for thousands and thousands of years by ancient societies where um monuments and devotional landmarks were, were built, um, Stonehenge, pyramids, um, all of these different places that held special, special energetic gravitas or central meaning wherein various different rituals were performed, such as ritual sacrifices or um, equinox festivals um, or cross-quarter festivals. Um, and again, so much of these histories and heritages are a direct link to and with the cosmos and psyche, as in, uh, for instance, the, the pyramids at Gaza, right, have um, significant uh, alignments with the, uh, the star Sirius. And the, uh, the Black Hills as well have a, uh, an alignment with the sacred hoop of stars. And I, I don't want to get too deeply into this but I do want to again gesture to this idea of essentially a vacuum. Um, and of course, we have the, the concept of a black hole, right? And the speculation that surrounds such things, right? But there's this impossible sense in, a, in just a purely psychic manner, and obviously this extends to the, the cosmological analysis of kind of the nature of space, and obviously the nature of space-time, that there is a, a black hole within us, and the black hole is the black hole of the soul and the self rising from the dark soil, right? The, the Chitonic underground or the uh, underworld. Um. And again, this is the Pluto archetype. This is what this uh, this this uh, event is named after, I suppose. And it is it is in many ways, I think, a devotional um, name. In that, when we are gazing into the abyss, we are gazing into ourselves, and we become enveloped by the development of ourselves. And in this sense, we're stripped away. Uh, like Inanna going into the underworld to see her sister, we're stripped away of our worldly garments and our worldly reason, our worldly titles, names, and identities, and knowledge, and all of these things which may have afforded us 
certain standing or stature or uh, viability in a, in a cultural sense or in a world sense. But in losing that, right, we're stripped to our essence and we come into a confrontation with the fundamental nature of that which the whatever the quote unquote world has been built upon or the conception of the human being or the conception of knowledge, right? And there's this great primordial fear that lies beneath all of these structures and conceptions. And that primordial fear is a fear of the abyss. And the necessity of structuring these things is the necessity of holding together the already fragile human reason and human consciousness, which is I don't the, the word isn't undeveloped, but I mean, incredibly young, um, incredibly gestational. I would say if it is aware of its power, it's only aware of a very small portion of what it actually is and entails. And most of the time is not altogether not right immersed or absorbed in the imagining and imaginal process of creation itself and thus uh, dictated and possessed by greater creation and the greater cosmological creation or the being at work, right? And so this is where we get concepts of, uh, of God and higher powers. And of course, all of these different developments that seem to occur outside of our field of vision or occur in the periphery um, and the fear of the periphery and the focus, right? The lens upon that which we believe can be controlled or that we believe can be known um, and again, this very small world that develops out of it um, as a sort of not necessarily an escape mechanism, but as a survival mechanism, as one which says over the course of these thousands of years, we have developed a civilizational structure, which in many ways still cannot support even basic survival, basic uh, maintenance of the physical body. Um and so this, right, this fear of the loss of the physical body or the fear of uh, ailment or else the displacement of that fear onto another entity, right, or into another entity, which is to say a sort of salvation or an expected coming of a liberator. Um, any of these sorts of conjectures are directly correlated. And this is kind of been synthesized as the, uh, the Pisces age question or the theme of the Pisces age in a and a messiah and a uh, martyr. Um, but it all returns to this, this notion of, are we able to not only face the abyss, but face ourselves? And to face ourselves as the abyss is to know our true selves as creation. Um, and to be stripped of everything. And thus we no longer have in our lexicon even such terms as possession or such terms as name. And I think that's um, in some ways representative of a pure divine madness uh, or divine mania, again, to go back to that previous talk on uh, 
I think Nietzsche was mentioned. And um, uh, this is not to say that this is something that is a uh, by any means quote unquote easy. Um, and I think to gesture to Nietzsche, there's um, Bataya writes about him uh, in the book. I think it's called On Nietzsche, um, and quotes him a couple of times, saying things along the lines of, "I." looked around looked around me for companions on this journey right and i found none um and maybe maybe that's a condemnation and maybe it's also indicative of a uh, a slow waking um, or a slow quaking of the earth from which new things or buds may emerge. Um, that's all I got for this one.